0: Baptist Church.
1: Hear this portion of the story of God as recorded in the book of Joshua. Now the gates of Ger- Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once, with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance! March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall. Collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Good morning. How many of you are are facing an obstacle in your life right now that just seems unsurmountable? How many of you? I know there are probably many of you in this room, and if you're not facing one now, there's a really good chance that you have faced one in the past, or you will face one in the near future, (laughs) because that just seems to be the way life works, right? Something may be holding you back from the promise that God has for you. You may know the calling that God has placed on your life, but there's this wall that's blocking you from stepping into that promised land. You know, I heard a story uh, several years ago that I absolutely love, and I'm going to tell it again today because I think it ties in loosely. Uh, There uh, is this young wrestler who is part of this wrestling team, in Oklahoma, and he's gearing up for the Oklahoma State Wrestling Championships. It's the state high school championships. You can picture the scene. You can picture the gym packed, filled with screaming fans in the bleachers. You can see the wrestling mats below. And the teams are wrestling throughout the day, and it comes down to the last two teams. Whichever team emerges victorious will walk out of that place as the Oklahoma State Wrestling High School champions. Now, the way they work it out is they start with the heaviest weight classes and they work their way down to the lightest weight class. Okay, so we're down to the last two teams and they've worked their way down from the heaviest to the lightest, and when they get to the lightest weight class, you look up at the scoreboard and you realize the score is tied dead even. It's going to come down to this very last wrestling match. And whoever wins this match will lead his team into the state championship. Okay? Now, on one team, there is last year's state champion. This kid is a senior and he hasn't lost a match all year. So quietly behind the scenes his team is already celebrating. On the other team there is this young freshman who's only wrestled one match the whole year and that didn't go very well. Okay now the coach of this young man looks at the situation and he does the only thing that he can do He wants to give this kid a little pep talk. So he brings him over and he says, Son, listen to me. Everything is riding on this. (laughs) Everything. You have to win this match. Everything is riding on you. Now here's one thing you need to know. You are going to be wrestling last year's state champion. And he has one signature move. It's called the pretzel. Do not let that boy put you in the pretzel. Do you understand me? And he says, Yes, coach. And he said, Alright, now get out there. So he shoves him out there and this kid's out there and the wrestling match begins. And do you know what happened in the first six seconds of that match? This kid's in the pretzel. Okay, so he's in the pretzel, the coach sees what's taking place before his eyes, and he knows that nobody can escape from the pretzel. He knows that this match is over and they are not going to leave that hall as this year's state champions. And so he puts his head into his hands in agony. But while his head is in his hands, he hears the most blood-curdling scream he has ever heard. And when he looks up, to his amazement, This freshman has broken out of the pretzel, done a full reversal, and has pinned this other kid. The crowd goes absolutely crazy. They're pouring out of the stands. They're picking this kid up. They're carrying him on their shoulder. And the coach is still sitting there thinking, how did this happen? So he gets up, and he works his way through the crowd until he gets to his freshman wrestler, and he says, son, what happened? And this kid says, coach, You know, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. You know, I got turned around left from right. I I didn't know up from down or left from right. And I opened my eyes, and the only thing that I could see in front of my face, right in front of my face, was a big toe. And so I did the only thing that I could think to do. I bit down on that toe as hard as I possibly could. And coach, you would not believe what you can do when you bite your own toe. (laughs) Now, I love that story. I love that story because we can put ourselves in the place of that freshman. You can imagine, we've all been shoved into situations before where we're way over our heads. And everyone's saying, everything is riding on you. Right? We've been there. You know, but the the problem with that illustration is that it breaks down because we know that more times than not, when we try and accomplish things in our own strength, it doesn't turn out that well. If we were to bite our own toe, it's unlikely (laughs) that we would find that sort of victory, although it's still a wonderful story. (laughs) So I told it anyway. (sighs) Now, for the last two months, for the last two months, we've been in this series through the book of Joshua. And what we find in this book, which is fantastic, is lots of fantastic fantastic insights about how to take ground in our lives spiritually. How to take ground, and that's what I want to talk about today. Now, in the first five chapters of this book, we see that God is preparing Israel for taking the promised land. Okay? There's been a promise from from centuries before that God is about to fulfill in the lives of the Israelites. Now, in chapter 6, where we are today... We actually get to see the Israelites take the promised land. And what we want to know is how did they do it? What did they have to do to actually take the promised land? Now, much like the Israelites, we are predestined for greatness. God has a plan and a calling on each of you. Did you know that? Do you know that you are destined for greatness. You may not realize it, but you are. If you are a believer, you are on the edge of a breakthrough. You are on the edge of a breakthrough. You are standing at the edge of the promised land, and your eyes may not be able to see it, but God wants you to see it through his eyes, to set your spirit on receiving what is rightfully yours, okay? He's given you a destiny that ends in victory. But along the way, we are going to face some walls. It's just part of life. We're going to face some walls. Some of those walls are going to seem unsurmountable. Walls. You know what they are in your life, and you've dealt with them before. But unless you deal with those walls, you won't be able to move beyond who, what, or where you are today. You've got to deal with those walls. Now, the good news is that God did not bring you this far to leave you where you are today. Think of all that God has done in your life up to this point. All the miraculous things that he has done to get you to where you are today. Do you really think he's going to leave you where you are today? Absolutely not. Now, as we consider where the Israelites are in chapter 6, God has promised, as I said, he has promised that he will lead them into the promised land. But they have to deal with a wall as well. They have to deal with this issue of a wall. Now, this barrier could have potentially prevented the Israelites from entering into the promised land, and we know that it did 40 years earlier. They're back in the same place that they were 40 years earlier, and they're facing the same barrier. And they've got to deal with it if they're going to take new ground. Now, when you think about your life right now, think about your life, what is holding you back? What is keeping you from the thing that God is calling you to? What is keeping you from experiencing victory in your life, from entering the place that God has called you to? For the Israelites, it's Jericho. Jericho. Jericho is a large city. It's a fortified city. It's lined with watchmen at every gate. They had crossed the Jordan. The Israelites had crossed the Jordan. And you remember, they crossed on dry land. God has been working in and through them in miraculous ways. They've crossed on dry land and now they can see the promised land before them. But the walls of Jericho are standing before them as well. Now, Jericho not only had one wall, it actually had two walls. They were 15 feet apart. The, uh, the first wall, uh, the retainer wall, was 15 feet high. 15 feet high. And on top of the retainer wall, there was an additional mud and brick wall that was 25 feet high. Uh, And then these two walls were 15 feet apart. Okay, so there's this kind of a gap between the walls. Now, notice the options that the Israelites had if they were going to take this city. Okay, notice the options. They could scale the walls, but they'd be killed. They could beat down the gates but they'd be killed. They could tunnel underneath, but they'd be killed. They could bomb the place. Oh, wait. Bombs haven't been invented yet. So forget that. They can't do that. It just seems that there's no possible solution. Okay? So they're standing there wondering, what are we going to do about this wall? There is nothing in our own strength that is going to enable us to take this wall. Why is it That every time God gives us a vision for something, that we end up facing a wall. Doesn't it seem that that's the case? He gives us a calling. He gives us a picture of where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, we're facing tons of opposition. Opposition that comes out of nowhere. Well, for one, we have to remember that we have the enemy to contend with. And if God gives you something to do that has some value, some merit, that's going to make a difference, you better expect that there's going to be some opposition. Because the enemy isn't going to stand back and say, take it, God gave it to you. No. The enemy is going to do whatever he can to prevent you from receiving what it is that God has set before you. But it also could be something that God is wanting to do in your life personally. Uh, It might be an area of growth. That God wants to address in your life. It could be a stronghold that needs to come down and be broken. Whatever it is, it must be removed before you can take that ground, okay? It must be removed. So how do we remove these walls? How do we remove them? How do we position ourselves to receive what God has for us? Well, I'd like to offer four insights from the passage that we heard earlier today. Four insights. The first three insights are things that we must do in order to take down those walls. The third or the fourth insight is more an insight about the character of God, something that we need to pay attention to as we face the walls in our lives. Okay, so first, the first thing, and this is important, We must see our walls through the eyes of God. We must see our our walls through the eyes of God. In verse 2, the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now, the word see is a very interesting word. From our human perspective, or for Joshua's human perspective, the battle hasn't even started yet. And God's saying, See, I've I've given Jericho into your hands. Joshua could be sitting there like, well, actually nothing's happened yet. But what God is trying to do here is he's trying to get Joshua to look at these walls through God's eyes and not his own eyes. There's a big difference uh, in the way things look if we can imagine what they might look like through God's eyes as opposed to the way we are seeing them, especially when it comes to walls in our lives. It's as if... God is saying, Joshua, take your focus off the walls. Who cares about how tall the walls are or the fact that they're fortified? Uh, You keep your eyes on me, and I'll take care of the rest, okay? Look to the victory beyond the walls, okay? Now, I was trying to think about this and how this has played out in in my life, and uh, one of the illustrations that that is close to home, very close to home, and many of you know this story, is that Elizabeth and I, my wife and I, we, we, we really struggled with infertility for several years. And what's interesting about that is we, early in our marriage, had a vision for having children. You know, we, we could picture them. We, we, we had a heart for them. And we even bought a house for them. <laughs> you know, and, and we were preparing But almost immediately after we got married, Elizabeth was diagnosed with colon cancer, and so after the treatments, the doctors told us, you know, you really need to wait about five years before you start trying to have children. Okay. So we waited five years, and then when we started trying, nothing was happening. Nothing was working. So we started getting treatments. We, we, we went to a fertility specialist, and we did all these tests. Elizabeth had multiple surgeries. And one of the tests we had uh, helped us to realize that what we had, one of the complications, one of the walls, the mini walls, was that we had almost a perfect HLA match. Now, what is that? Well, I didn't know what it was either at the time. But if you uh, say you needed a kidney transplant, and uh, you needed to find a donor, Uh, what you would need to do is you would need to find someone that had an HLA match that was as close to yours as possible. Now, oftentimes, they start with your immediate family members. They'll, They'll look at a brother or a sister or a mother or a father, and there's a chance that someone in your immediate family would have a close enough match that they could be a donor for you. But it doesn't always happen, okay? Now, ironically... Even though Elizabeth and I are not related except by marriage, we had an almost perfect match. A perfect HLA match. The doctor was so surprised by that that he called the lab to make sure he wasn't reading the results incorrectly. Okay, now that's wonderful if Elizabeth needs a kidney. But it's not so great uh, if you're trying to get pregnant. Because what it does is it causes her body to reject my tissue and the embryos won't attach to the placenta wall and blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. So we started doing these fertility treatments, experimental treatments. We did IVF six times. We did IUI four times. We had four miscarriages, one late miscarriage. We had, uh, we had an eptopic pregnancy thrown in there. And every time it became increasingly and increasingly discouraging. You know, and, and the cost alone is just like staggering. Okay. And I don't know what God was trying to teach us through that. Um, but near the end of this uh, dilemma, our fertility specialist pulled us aside and he sat us down and he said, Listen, Elizabeth, if you were my daughter, I would tell you that it's time to stop. I would tell you it's time to stop. And so we cried in his office and we talked about our options, and there really weren't any at that point. And so we just said, Lord, we're just going to give all of this to you. You know? I mean, we've we've tried to give it to you in the past, but at this point, whatever your will is, Lord, we're we're there. And soon after, God gave Elizabeth an impression. Uh, it was like a word. Uh, he said to her, You need to speak to your mountains and tell them to be removed in the name of Jesus. You can't speak about your mountains and complain about your mountains to your friends or describe your mountains or paint pictures of your mountains. You need to speak to them in the name of Jesus and they will be removed. And so we started speaking against these mountains in our lives, the mountain of infertility. Uh, Many of you have mountains. Um, and soon after that, uh, we, we got a call from a friend of ours who invited us to um, Focus, which is like the equivalent of the Leadership Summit in England. It was put on by Holy Trinity Brompton. And at that workshop, um, or at that conference, they had multiple workshops, and Elizabeth signed up for one on healing. And she needed to submit information about what she wanted healing for. And she told them that she wanted healing for fertility issues. When she got to the conference, the two ladies at the registration desk were jumping up and down when they met her. And Elizabeth said, I, I'm sorry, you, you, I don't think, I think there may be a mistake. I don't think, because uh, you couldn't possibly know me. And they said, no, no, it's not that. God told us that there was going to be someone coming here today. We, we've been praying and we, we were told that there was going to be someone coming here that would receive prayer and healing for infertility issues. And now you're here. And so they prayed for her. And three weeks later or so, a little little after three weeks, Elizabeth came to me and and she gave me this heart. And on the heart, it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke 1.37. And on the back side of the heart, it said, October 11th, 2013. And... I looked at this, and such is my faith that I had no idea what this could possibly mean. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I don't get it. And she was like, well, think about it for a minute. I still don't get it. (laughs) What she was trying to tell me is that she was pregnant. She got pregnant naturally, and uh, on the exact date, exact due date, Eva, our daughter, came into the world, you know, you know, you know, and I'll tell you, I I don't, I don't know what the deal was about all of that, I don't know what the purpose of all those walls were, the the pain, the the, the tears, the, but what I do know is that God had to bring me, at least, I think Elizabeth was there far before me, to a place where I, I really gave it all to God. Because I think it's a manly thing. You just keep trying to find solutions. You know, and now when I look at that little baby and I see her smile, I I know that it's all God. It's all God. And and that she is a gift from God. In fact, that's what her name means. Eva means gift from God. So powerful, powerful stuff. Um, Oh, hard to transition from that. (laughs) Uh, Second thing that God is trying to show us through this passage <laughs> Woo. We must submit ourselves to the Lord. We must submit ourselves to the Lord wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. OK? Now you may remember from last week's message that uh, Joshua had this encounter with the angel of the Lord. you remember that? There was this angel of the Lord that had a sword drawn. And Joshua asked him, are you for us or are you against us? And the angel of the Lord said, neither. But I come as the commander of the armies of the Lord your God. And as soon as Joshua realized who he was dealing with, he dropped to the ground. And although he was the general and had all the authority over the Israelites, he submitted everything to God. And his next question was, what directions do you have for me? What directions do you have for us? Now, I find it very interesting that, that God did not give Joshua victory until after he had fallen on his face and submitted everything to him. In fact, after that happened, the Lord said to Joshua, See? I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all its fighting men. See, nothing had happened yet, but God had already said, this is a done deal. This is a done deal. Uh, It reminded me, as I was thinking about that, of a song that we used to sing when we were in Sunday school growing up. You remember that song, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho? You want to sing it with me? (laughs) Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. So theologically incorrect, I have to tell you. I I had no idea how theologically incorrect that was until I started really working through this text. Joshua didn't do anything. He, He didn't do anything. All he did is fall down and say, okay, you're God, and uh, I'll watch you now. Uh, all he did is, is just obey, okay? God, it was God's war to win, and God took care of it. Now, the battle belongs to the Lord, and here is a perfect example of where that was the case, okay? Now, let me ask all of you that are dealing with walls in your life, who is fighting Your battle right now, or the battle. Is it you? Or are you allowing God to fight that battle for you? Because the outcome is going to be really different, okay? Uh, God is showing us here that we need to let go and let God, okay? That's a very hard thing for us to do. Now, the third thing that we learn from this passage is that we must have faith. We must have faith. Hebrews 11:30 says that by faith the walls of Jericho fell down, and after the people had marched around them for seven days. Now interesting thing, it wasn't by force, it wasn't by firepower. It wasn't by fighting that the walls came down. They came down by faith, according to the scriptures. Now everybody, no matter who you are, has faith in something. It might be religion, it might be yourself, it might be evolution. Or mankind, or even an atheist has faith that his own reason will bring him wherever he needs to go. Okay? But we know that there's only one kind of faith that's strong enough to last for time and eternity, and that is faith in our God. Okay? Now, that kind of faith is an understanding faith. In Hebrews 11:3 it says by faith we understand that the universe was framed by the word of God. Okay? And then it's also a saving faith, a saving faith. In Ephesians 2:18 it says by grace we are saved through faith. Okay? It's a working faith, a working faith. In James 2:20 it says faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What is God saying to us about faith when he's he's revealing these passages of scripture to us? He's calling us to a point that we would recognize that we need to put our faith into action. We cannot be content with where we are right now. We cannot be satisfied with the status quo. I heard a preacher one time that said, God cannot bless inactivity. For whatever reason, that really resonated with me. God cannot bless inactivity. And I think it was because at the time, I remember saying, God, I wish you would bless me. You know, please bless me, Lord. Please bless me. And I realized I really wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there saying, God, please bless me. And what that, what that preacher was telling me is that if you really want to be blessed by God, you've got to get up and do something. You've got to step out in faith. You've got to move toward whatever it is that God is calling you to. Have you ever been to the zoo and seen the African impalas? The impalas? You know the impalas? There's a car named after one. Uh, Impalas can jump 10 feet into the air just from a standing position. And they can also jump 30 feet. Now, if a human could jump 30 feet, you could slam a basketball from behind the three-point line. That's a pretty significant jump. Okay? Now, The African impala can jump incredibly high and incredibly far. And yet, if you ever go to the zoo and you see the impalas, you'll notice that they are behind a wall that is only about three or four feet high. And you might think, well, how come they just don't jump out? Why don't they jump to their freedom? And do you know what's interesting about the impalas? They will not jump unless they can see where they can land. So you can put a three-foot fence in front of an impala, and if they can't see the other side of that fence, they won't jump out. Are we like that? You know, I think God's calling us to, to jump, even if we don't know exactly where we're going to land. And, and interestingly, God almost never shows us where we're going to land until we're in, mo- in midair, right? It's just something that God does. And I think he has much more for us than we give him credit for, okay? Okay? We need to step out in faith. We need to do things we've never done and expect things we've never expected. I heard a a charismatic preacher one time trying to motivate his congregation for this same kind of thing. And during one of his sermons, he said, Church, we need to get up from where we're seated. We need to get up and we need to walk. And as soon as he said that, one of the deacons said, let her walk, pastor, let her walk. And and he got kind of excited by by the enthusiasm from his deacon, and he said, but we need to do more than just walk, church. We need to run. We need to learn how to run, church. And And the deacon speaks up again, let her run, pastor, let her run. And he said, but we cannot be content with running alone, church. Oh, no, no, no. If we want to be the kind of church that God is calling us, we need to learn how to fly. We need to learn how to fly. And the, and the deacon said, let her fly, pastor. Let her fly. And then the pastor said, and if we want to fly, we're going to have to do a lot of things that we've never done before. We're going to have to dig much deeper. We're going to have to be much more sacrificial. We're going to have to give more. We're going to have to give more of our of our time and our energy and our talent and our money. And then the deacon said, "Let her walk, pastor. Let her walk." <laughs> <laughs> You see, there's something about <laughs> not exactly knowing where we're gonna, things are going to end up that causes us to just be pretty much content with where we're at. You know, and I think that, that, that philosophy or that, that, that stream of thought leaves us missing out on a lot of things that God has for us. Now, the, the last thing. Um, and this is the one where I said, you know, this is more of a characteristic of God. It's something interesting that you, you just have to keep in the back of your mind when you're dealing with God. God's ways are not always conventional. They're not always conventional. Um, God has a flair for the creative when it comes to getting things done. Have you ever noticed that throughout Scripture? I mean, he could, do, he could snap his fingers and things would be done, but he always does these really creative things. I mean, have the Israelites march around the city once with armed men for six days. Then have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets and then everyone shouts in victory. Do you know how crazy that must have sounded to Joshua? I mean, he must have been thinking, I've got to relay that to my soldiers. You know? Very unconventional. I mean, if I were marching around... Jericho, I think on probably day three or four, I would have been like turning to the guy next to me and, what are we doing? You know, I mean, you really think this is going to bring those walls down? I mean, come on. But you know what? God had spent 40 years with these people, training them, conditioning them, helping them to recognize that obedience pays off, okay? That obedience is better than sacrifice, And so they marched around those walls, and for the seventh time, on the seventh day, the priests let out a blast on those trumpets, and the people shouted in victory, and the walls came tumbling down. You know what's amazing about that? It wasn't until after the trumpets were blown and the shouts of victory went up that the walls came down. Now that requires a certain degree of faith and trust, doesn't it? You know, you're really putting it out there at that point. And the trumpets. You know, I was thinking, why would God want trumpets? I mean, why would he want them to blow trumpets? Well, I did a little research and discovered that these trumpets were the same trumpets that are used in the act of worship. Okay? They were used to acknowledge that the presence of the Lord was with the Israelites. They were trumpets of jubilee. Okay, so these are instruments of worship. Uh, Do you know the difference between faith and trust? Have you ever thought about it, the difference? When we have faith in God, we believe that he can do what he has promised that he will do. That's faith. We believe that he can. But when we trust God, we live our lives as if he's already done it. Okay? Okay? So we need to combine those two things, faith and trust. You see, God has given Joshua and the Israelites victory on this day. But more importantly, he has raised up a people that know how to trust and obey. He's raised up a people that can live their lives on the promises of God. He's raised up a people that can have intimacy with God because they really get him And are willing to submit their lives to him wholeheartedly. Now, as you listen to this message today, some of you here have some pretty significant walls in your life. Uh, And you've been looking at those walls for a long time. But I want you to keep your mind on the fact that God wants you to enter the promised land. He's orchestrating your life in such a way that you will be able to enter the promised land. You are on the edge of victory right now. God wants you to set your heart on receiving it, your spirit on receiving it. So I dare you, right here in this place, to see those walls through the eyes of God. What do those walls look like through God's eyes? Are they daunting? Is it impossible for God to overcome those walls? I dare you to submit your life to him wholeheartedly. I don't want you to hold anything back. You know, that illustration that I gave you with Elizabeth, as I look back, I was, I was holding on to some things. I, I really wanted to make some things happen. And, uh, and God needed to, to purge that from my life. I dare you to wholeheartedly step out in faith and really trust him. I mean, to live your life, even if those walls are still before you, to live your life as if those walls had already been decimated. How would your life look different if you did that? You see, all things are possible with God. So choose today to live your life as if the victory is already yours, amen, amen. all right let 's pray, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, for your faithfulness, uh, and Lord, I hate to pray this, but maybe we even need to pray and thank you for the walls in our lives, because if learning how to overcome walls and the pain of going through them, brings us closer to you and enables us to be united with you, Lord. Bring it on. Bring it on, Lord. Because when the walls do come down, we want to be in a place where we can really advance your kingdom to, uh, to do the things that you have called us to. And I know you've got big plans for each of us here. There are people in this room that have a calling on their lives and nobody can do what they can do. And so impress that upon them today, Lord. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we want to do now is transition.